So the world is abuzz. Now that Marjorie Taylor Greene has shown the C-SPAN cameras, I wonder if they blacked it out on C-SPAN. Well, I know she had the black blur boxes over the business end of Hunter Biden's <laughs> libido, or whatever you wish to call it. Um, but I'm just wondering if, out of respect for the audience and to not be obscene and to preserve decorum, if they might have just gone to a black box when Marjorie Taylor Greene showed the graphic image of Hunter Biden. And, uh, you know, I can't say it. How do you describe that? Because he set the camera up on, I guess he set it up on a tripod and set it to take automatic selfies. You know, he filmed it, set it on a tripod and filmed it, and then took still images. That's probably what happened. Took still images off the film. Who does this sort of thing, perverts? Who does this sort of thing, sexual deviants? Who does this sort of thing, people that probably have all manner of sexual deviant desires and perversions and tendencies. So there's an IRS whistleblower that went into the House of Representatives yesterday, Joseph Ziegler, three of them. And they basically testified that if Hunter Biden's name was Hunter Smith, he already would have been, they would, they, he would have been brought up on felony charges, many of them for tax evasion and lying and cheating on uh, tax returns and what have you here. And he is likely he would have been prosecuted, but because he is the big guy's son, the big guy and the apparatus of big government intervened to stop the investigations and to stop any attempt to look any deeper into the uh, to the illegal filings of Hunter's tax returns. And this was the subject of the hearing yesterday. Uh, all of the Democrat left is losing its collective gore. What's so funny about this to me? To hear Joy Behar go on, oh my God, these people are so violent, disgusting, showing these pictures of grown people having sex in Congress and stuff. And then showing, like, who knows, children may have been watching. You don't seem to mind when, when seven-year-olds check the book out of the library with the same pictures in it. Don't seem to mind when a 12-year-old checks the book out of the library and then goes on Grinder and hooks up with a sodomite. Oh, but if we show it in a hearing here and it has something to do with a cherished member of the Democrat Biden family, well, oh, well, that's gone too far. Imagine if this was Don Jr. Mm -hmm. Imagine if this was Eric Trump. Hmm? Uh, photographs without the black boxes on them would be on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. They would be at the top of the page at the Sludge Report. I'm just going to start calling it Sludge, not Drudge. Yes. That's right. Remember when the Democrats during the 2016 campaign were printing thousands, if not tens of thousands, of copies 
out. Uh, the soon-to-be-made-famous photograph of Melania, before she was Melania Trump, laying on that bearskin rug or elkskin, whatever it was. Uh, now, she was completely naked, but the only thing you saw was her derriere, if you will. Uh, but there, see, see, the, the porn star slut, soon-to-be, wannabe first lady. Can't have that. Oh, but we can have gobble, 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 Joe. That's a great new name for Biden, gobble, gobble, Joe. I was just made aware of this video. Apparently, Mrs. O'Connell saw it last week and didn't think I, that I'd want to. I'd want to comment on it on the tarmac on the runway uh, at the airport in Helsinki. There was a bunch of people that wanted to meet the regime leader on his way to his plane, and so they showed. Uh, they showed up. They lined. Uh, there was, uh, you know, the velvet rope. Um, separates the, the dignitary uh, from the sloven pedestrian peasant masses. Well, Joe started working the ropes and then honed in. He zeroed in with laser-like precision on a woman who was holding a two-year-old girl on her hip. Regime leader zoomed in. He zeroed in. He set the target. Stay on target. Hey, me and Corn Pop are on target, bub. Stay on target. And then Joe went in for the kill shot. He literally, turkey, 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 gobble, gobbled at that child on her head. When the child recoiled in horror and turned to her mother like, oh, mommy, protect me. The mother kind of just turned the kid back so that Biden can continue. Gobble, 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 gobble. Chewing and sniffing the child's hair. You watch this and you're like, who does this? Now, now look, now look, look. We all, well, most of us love the cheerings. Uh... It's not beyond the pale that if you were to go meet someone and they were to introduce your child to the, uh, their child to you, that you may say, hi, such and such. You might make a goofy face like adults do to children. <laughs> we get all weird and goofy and bleep, 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 make them do stupid sounds and what have you here. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience, uh, there's photographic evidence out there of this. I have one. Yes. <laughs> The Lamont family can bear witness to this. Uh, one of the Lamont grandchildren, a uh, little, uh, little uh, Regina, did not take a very kind liking to me the first couple of times that I came around. And when, when I went in for the Biden, when I went in for the gobble, <laughs> she turned away. And it was there, there's a picture out there somewhere. Miniature, please! <laughs> With the child staring at me in horror. But I, but I stopped. I went, okay, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> We'll, we'll get to know you some other way. I hope that most men uh, would do the same thing. They go like, hey, hey, it's okay. No, no, don't cry. <laughs> and we just kind of back away and chalk it up to, uh, it's, it's, it's a child. Oh, ho, ho, but not Big Joe. Big Joe swooped in and went for the kill. Richard Davis Hanson has a piece about this today out at the uh, AM Greatness uh, uh, website. 
And I, I think that, I mean, he, he, he's writing about this. But, but most people, if I said Victor Davis Hanson, you might know the name. But most people would not know the, here's the Biden family caricatures. I was telling Mrs. O'Connell today. And she goes, really? I said, yeah, Victor Davis Hanson is like the professor emeritus of history, I want to say. Or maybe it's a, he's a classicist, so maybe it's the classics. At the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He is one of the, I want to say that he's one of the founders of the, oh gosh, what's that institute out there in California? It'll come to me in a moment. Um, and he was one of the founders of the AM Greatness website. And he, uh, I mean, he's a, he's an, he's a world-class intellectual, he's a jet fuel genius. And he uh, has been teaching, I want to say since the 1970s. Um, this guy is no lightweight, Victor Davis Hanson. For him to write this thing, and, and, I, and you can, as you read the piece, you go like, he's trying to be, uh, he's trying to operate with decorum and respect as best he can, given the subject matter of the Biden family caricatures. But when you have Victor Davis Hanson writing profiles of you on the pages of AM Greatness, um, Claremont Institute, that's what the Claremont Institute. He's one of the guys that is uh, either in on the founding or he's a fellow at the Claremont Institute. Uh, and, and look, the Claremont Institute is a great institution outside of when it comes to war. So when it comes to war and American supremacy, they are Jaffaites, not Straussians. I mean, they are Straussians, but they're descendants of Harry Jaffa. And there, uh, you know, there's a school of Marican exceptionalism where we could do no wrong. And it's a good thing we came into the world. Not Jesus, us. Um, uh, it's just, uh, but the Claremont does, does, I mean, historically speaking, the Claremont Institute does do some great work. And it had some really, uh, Amity Schley's writes there. Heather McDonald has written there. Um, uh, William Vogley, uh, among others, lots of great uh, uh, Thomas Sewell's written at the for the Claremont. He might even be a fellow of the Claremont. My point being, when Victor Davis Hanson takes time out of his day to write an essay about how screwed up your family is, and you just happen to be the regime leader, it might be time to pick someone else to be regime leader. If you are a Democrat, remember these people swim in the same elite circles. There is a rumor going around today, and I'll come back to Victor Davis Hanson in just a moment. There is a rumor going around today. Um, actually, it was started yesterday that gruesome Gavin Nusamabad has thrown his hat into the ring and has announced he has formed his 2024 presidential exploratory committee. In other words, he's going to run for the Democrat nomination. Now, some people are telling me, because I asked the question, I did not break a news story. I asked the question on Twitter. Uh, does anyone have any, can anyone confirm this? Now, the only thing that we have so far is that Fox News had a story where they were talking about 
uh, where the story was about that supposedly because he's been making trips to the White House to go visit the big guy, that uh, Gavin uh, Grusom uh, Gavin bad is being uh, he's being groomed. He's the last man standing that can actually run for the demon uh, can actually take the demon crap party where they want to be taken, which is in child molestation, raping, robbing, incest. You know the usual demonic uh, adrenochrome celebrating ceremonies and what have you. Uh, this is all part and parcel of what Gavin gruesome Nusamabad had does. So he's a perfect replacement for the big guys. As a matter of fact, he and Hunter are going to get along famously. They should just leave Hunter in the, uh, in the White House and let Gru uh, Gavin gruesome, gruesome Gavin Nusamabad just uh, let, let Hunter run as vice president. They are one and two of a kind. But we can't confirm it. Again, I have one per, uh, p person telling me it's a hoax. It's a trap. Uh, there is a, a couple of stories. Who was it? The New York Post had a story out about how uh, they. He's been running. He just hasn't announced. That he's uh, the, the, the Gavin Grusom Nusamabad has been running. He just haven't. He, he hasn't made it official. He hasn't announced yet, as the, uh, as the story goes. Uh, I don't know. It would make complete sense to me, though. That because uh, they're it's becoming more and more evident they're going to need someone to replace the, uh, the to replace the big guy. Let's move on to another subject here. John Daniel Davidson as a Federalist. Has a uh, essay piece out to today about the impending indictment, supposedly, against former president. Soon to be, I think, again, President Trump. Biden's DOJ will trigger a crisis if Trump is indicted for January the 6th. Now, this is pretty much along the lines of some of the stuff that we have been talking here about this. Because the question then comes, okay, so if you, you're using the Injustice Department and the executive branch to try to remove your chief political rival, which is what they do in totalitarian Marxist regimes across the world, not just the banana republics, in Marxist regimes across the world. Uh, this is how the game is played. This is how the sausage is made. You get in the way of the people that are the, the criminal class that runs the government for their own and for their own crime family's benefit. They will take you out. They remove you. Does it just happen in movies? It actually happens in real life. And it looks to, uh, it, 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 just a casual observance of this looks like that's what they're trying to do to Trump. Now, there are so many things that are going to go wrong with this scheme. Number one would be, and, and, and a judge has actually rejected. Now, it would be interesting for me to see if, if, if Jack Smith actually indicts Trump for its conspiracy to interfere with an official event or an official meeting. You know, I, I'm just going to, okay, here, I want to deal with this one quickly. Because it was in Magdalene Rose's report today uh, on the 7 a.m. You'll hear it on the 7 a.m. news. Let me just deal with this this nonsense. Uh, we're going to bring him up of charges and in interfering with the conduct of official business. Well, let me, some of you that are older listeners will remember this story. Let us go back to 1791. 
better chart played. Nobody can remember back that far. You don't need to remember back. I'll walk you through it. Maggie, 1791. You weren't in high school. You weren't even a thought. 1791. What happened? Well, Lindenair, pull up an ice block at Lindenair and I'll tell you a story. So, again, some of you may know this story. The Senate of the United States was negotiating its first, was debating its first treaty. I forget exactly who it was, but it was a treaty that was being negotiated twixt the United States and an Indian tribe. And they were in full session. They were debating the treaty. They were having a meeting, an official, they had gaveled it, they had called the roll. And right down the street, someone had told George Washington, hey, the Senate's taking up its first treaty on the uh, Indian Act or whatever. I think Washington had actually requested it. And Washington said, well, we should go down there and we should go see how this is all shaking out and how it how it plays out and you know no, no, Washington thought he was walking into oh look George is here yay that's not what happened so the Senate is in session There is debate on the floor. There's actually a transcript of this because I know Kevin Gutzman sent me the, uh, I think I found it after Gutzman and I uh, talked about this. Uh, Professor Gutzman, author of James Madison and the Making of America, too many other books to mention. <clears throat> Used to be a regular guest host of the Constitution Hour here on the first two years of the Crusade Channel. In any event, uh, there's a door. There is a, I guess it's the sergeant at arms guards the door to the Senate. It's closed when it's in session. Okay. So Washington shows up and has his guy bang on the door. The sergeant at arms turns to the president pro tem of the Senate and says, are we expecting some witnesses or a guest or someone? And the president pro tem says, no, there's nobody coming here. And the sergeant at arms says, what should I do? And the president pro tem says, keep the door locked. Don't let him in. So seconds pass. The door doesn't move. And then Washington takes the cane from the guy and starts banging on the door. And at this point, the sergeant at arms looks at the president pro tem and they go, kind of like exchange glance. Go, OK, we'll find out who it is. So the gavel is banged, and the Senate is brought to a close. This is the key point here. The gavel is banged. The Senate is brought to a the, the business is halted for a moment. They're going to find out who's at the door. So they open the door, and there stands six-foot-four George Washington, president. They're all aghast because they're all terrified. <laughs> they literally are mortified that Washington has walked from the Capitol down to the Senate building. Oh, Lord, what does he want? Who, all right, they're looking around like, who did it? All right, all right who pissed him off? Who, who, who made him angry? 
Of course, it wasn't that way at all. It was uh, he just wanted to he wanted to sit in. So he walks in, and then the sergeant at arms says, Mr. President, and then the speaker pro tem says, what business do you have here, sir? And Washington says, I hear you're deliberating on the treaty that I sent up here, and I wish to watch the deliberations. And so the president pro tem of the, or the president of the Senate, I keep saying pro tem, it's not pro tem, the president, little petty foggers are going, hey, hey, he got it now, hey, he said pro tem, it's not pro tem. Yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Make your day. Uh, the president of the Senate says, oh, okay, well, here, there, there's a guest seat right over there. You can have a seat right over there. And so then Washington makes himself at home. Now, remember, he's unannounced. He stopped the business of the Senate. Okay? He's president of the United States. So Washington takes his seat. The record shows that the president of the Senate took the gavel and said the Senate's now back in session. And then, of course, the story goes, it's very funny to hear Kevin Goodsman tell because the longer Washington sits there, the, the angrier he gets because he's had the treaty offered. He's telling the Indians, don't worry about it. I got this. But the members of the Senate are just ripping this treaty to shreds. And every once in a while, he'd raise his hand and go like, uh, I have a question. Or, hey, what are you doing here? And the senators would say, you're not part of this debate. <laughs> So the longer he sits there, the angrier he gets, and finally just gets up and uh, and and in a huff storms out, and then tell, tells whoever he was with that uh, just remind me to never go back to that wretched, <laughs> wretched building. He never did. Why do I bring this up? The president of the United States was not invited. The president of the United States stopped a meeting that was in progress. The president of the United States caused the United States Senate to go into a recess of sorts, however you parliamentarians describe it. The President of the United States then entered the chamber and was not invited and inserted himself into the business of the Senate. Now, there were several members of the United States Senate on that day that were at the Federal Convention of 1787. They assisted in writing the, uh, the Constitution. There were several more, probably more of them, that were at the various ratifying conventions in the states, and they sat in on ratifying the Constitution. I would think that those men had a pretty good grasp of what the Constitution said about the closure of business and whether or not a president could bring the Senate to a close. Actually, the president can call the Congress into session you know, as, uh, as rhetoricians would say, or the the theoretical rhetoricians, if you have the power to bring the Congress and call it into session, don't you have the power then to, to say that you're adjourned? You have to read the Constitution to, to get the full uh, gist of this. The point of the, of the exercise here is there is no precedent, nor is there anything in the law or in constitutional law Especially if we're going to use the Constitution, and I think this is what ultimately was what it'll come down to. And I'll bet you that Alan Dershowitz will make the exact same argument that I'm making right now. There is nothing in that in the Constitution that says if he wanted to, Trump could have walked himself down to the Capitol building, banged on that door, a la Washington, and asked to have been admitted. There is nothing that prevents that. Maybe the president of the Senate on that day, I guess it would have probably been Mitch McConnell, right? He was still the majority leader. Maybe the president of the Senate that day could have denied Washington entry. He could have said, hey, you don't have any business here. 
you know, at which point, you know, the president could have said, point of parliamentary procedure and probably could have found a way to get in. The point being, if the president wishes to go, especially in the advising consent role that the Senate plays with him, this is the biggest straw dog of all time. There is nothing to see. My point is this. Trump should just own up to it and say, yes, I was going to go to the Senate myself. Yes, I was going to go sit in and maybe even stop the business for a moment and ask a question. He has the right, if it's not promulgated or stated in the Constitution, then I say it's reserved to the power of the president. Now, I know that there was another instance where a president actually walked down or marched into the Senate and asked to be heard. I can't remember who it was, but I know there was another one. There's nothing to see here, folks. This nonsense about that, well, he brought to, he interfered with the conduct of business. Well, first of all, you have to prove that he did it and that he interfered with it. Second of all, then you'd have to prove that, okay, well, so what if he did? That violates USC. Don't feed me any USC. We're talking about constitutional roles here. This ultimately, if these idiots were dumb enough, and maybe they are, to try to take this all the way to the House, as they say, would ultimately wind up in the hands of the Roberts Court. And you do not believe the Robert, Roberts Court wants to be on the side of Jack Smith and Joseph Robinette Biden in this in this fight here and would probably say or refer something to, uh, to the order, which I just said, which is it's not prohibited in the con by the Constitution. So if it's not prohibited by it, it's either a, a, a power reserved to the states, the people respectively, or in this instance, to the executive, to the president. Then say the president can't do it. So I think you can dispense with this. But this just shows you the fatuous nature of it. There's nothing to see here. And again, if I were the president's lawyers, I would say, so what if he was? So what if he was? In his role as president of the United States, there is precedent. He is allowed into the Senate deliberation chambers. He's allowed to sit in on the deliberations if he wants. Peace, he, peacefully is the term. That has to come out of this. Yep. Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel. Always on air, always online, crusadechannel.com. I believe that that is a transcript somewhere at mikechurch.com. I'll have to go find it. Uh, Maggie might be able to search the site. But if it's there, I'll find it because our WordPress archive goes all the way back to 2010. Um, but, uh, and again, and I'm kind of filling in the blanks here from what I know and uh, from the, the the story that Herr Dr. Professor Goodsman told. Uh, but I think that that's pretty sound reasoning there. And I think that anyone that would look at the Constitution with common sense would go like, okay, wait, wait a minute. So you're saying like, like what the, the Capitol gowns, grounds? The grounds of the Capitol building in the United States were off limits to the president. Under whose authority? Under what authority? This would be like saying that Pelosi's not allowed to get in a cab or an Uber and drive down to the White House and go bang on the door, which she's done, and ask Trump a question when he when she was the speaker and he was the president, because she did it. And what did the president No, let her in, let her in. What do you want, Nancy? You drunk again? I told you about drinking that rose before eleven, Nancy. Wine box Nancy. She's always coming here drunk, if you notice that. I'm I, I mean I'm using Al Rushbo's technique here, being ridiculous, absurd, 
to illustrate the absurdity of this. This is, this is completely absurd. John Daniel, put bluntly, if Biden's DOJ arrests Trump, the president's main political rival heading into the 2024 election, it will trigger a political and electoral crisis unlike any Marica has ever faced. I agree with that. Uh, it's not too much to say that such a move would not only imperil the upcoming presidential election, but the republic itself. Again, I've been saying this for a while. You keep doing this. It's almost as though they're going like, eh, 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 like they want him to do it. They want him to start an insurrection. They want him to form a shadow government of some sort. I don't think he's going to take the bait, but it seems to me that that is the play. Draw him out into the open. Get him to make a mistake. You see how this is working here? Get, draw him out in the open, Trump. Get him to make a mistake. We can't get him on any of these charges. But if we pull him out into the open while he's private citizen Trump, let's get him to make a mistake. Let's lock his butt up forevermore. It seems to me that this is the ploy. Jailing political rivals is what happened in 10-pot dictatorships like a Nicaragua, where President Daniel Ortega's political rivals often find themselves arrested and imprisoned on charges of treason. Sound familiar? Now it appears it could happen here. On Tuesday, Trump said he had received a letter. Of course, you know all this. Uh, this is the second target, uh, the second target letter Trump has received from Smith. The first one came in June in connection with the unprecedented FBI raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago home last year over classified documents. Days later, Trump was charged, and you know all this story. Trump and others have rightly denounced this as the weaponization of federal law enforcement and the criminalization of political differences. I'd leave the weaponization out of it because there is law that's on the books against the criminalization of it. Okay? The weaponization, that's just a term that you use if it looks like on a, a nice on a bumper sticker and sounds great on Fox News or on Newsmax or wherever it is that they're discussing this. The and, and I think that that, that uh, Trump has uh, his lawyers must be telling him this. Start talking about election interference because ultimately that's what's going on here. So you want to drag me in front of a court and you want to accuse me of love election interference in the 2020 certification of the vote. You're trying to prevent the 2024 vote from even happening. What do you call that? It's carrying out justice. To carry out justice there, what had to have been an injustice performed, would there not? You know, I hate to keep making sense on this stuff. I really do. I really I, I can't stand my role here. But if you're going to claim that you're the, we need to bring them injustice, okay, so you're implying an injustice was done. Go. What is it? Biden was certified. There was never a takeover of the, so the precious government. And by the way, Trump was the president. He was the chief executive that day. So what's going on here? 